RadioInfluence.com. Welcome into this week's edition of the MMA Report Podcast with Daniel Galvan. I am Jason Floyd. It is Wednesday, August the 3rd. Daniel, it's crazy. It's already the month of August, you know, and uh, man, we, we guys, we're sitting here on a Wednesday night doing the show. The first NFL preseason game is tomorrow night, man. It is just crazy, bro. Yeah, I'm convinced the NFL has paid off father time to make the time between the Super Bowl and the Hall of Fame game shorter each and every year, because I tell you what, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago that we saw the Los Angeles Rams hold up the Super Bowl, Jason. Hell, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago when Amanda Nunez was dethroned from the top of the mountain by Juliana Pena. And damn, bro, we're just, what, a few days removed from the goat getting back on top of the mountain? Yeah, man. I uh, So I went out, out on Saturday night. The the bar that I go to, they didn't have the fights, so I was just watching the fights on my phone. Or ordered on the ESPN app and uh, watched there on the phone. Uh, they did have the WWE pay-per-view, uh, so we kind of watched a little bit of SummerSlam, but also pay attention. So, but I did go back and I, I watched uh, I watched the entire main card back, you know, because, you know, cocktails are involved. You know, <laughs> you feel like you may have missed something. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if I said it here, but I know I said it over on the shows on Stochastic. After watching like the countdown shows and the embedded shows and watching Daniel Cormier's sit-down interviews, uh, you know, the one particularly with the man Nunez, and I just I walked into this thinking, like, I wonder if Team Pena has a false sense of security. And what I mean by that is they believe that the Amanda that walked in to the cage on Saturday night was going to be the same Amanda that walked into the cage back in December. And boy, it, it was, you got to give credit to Amanda, her team for coming up with that game plan. Because, you know, after the first round, Daniel, the first round ends, Juliana Pena has this look on her face like, oh no, we did not prepare for this. Yeah, it was crazy. Every single time it seemed like Juliana got within the range she got dropped it was wild it was like a video game character going up against a boss that just takes away all your health points with a single strike and there's nothing you can do about it it was really like i don't know if i've ever seen a fight like this where we saw a fighter get knocked down repeatedly and almost responded the same way almost like a the light was flickering in Juliana's head every single time she got hit. All the credit to Pena for showing unbelievable courage and tenacity. I think you lean into a really good point, Jason, in that that false sense of security, not only for her, for me when I made the prediction that Pena was going to win, I think for people at large, they may have had this thought process that Amanda's best days were behind her. She was ready to maybe hang them up, raise a family, and... We forgot, or at least some of us, myself included, forgot how great she can be. And Jason, on the feet, Amanda Nunez looks unbelievable. I put into question the framework of her training camp. That question was answered. Her training camp was phenomenal. I've never seen her in better condition. 
Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the things you heard throughout last week, you know, leading as far as how good she looked, just, you know, being around at the fighter hotel, whatnot. A lot of people were commenting on that. And, you know, look, it's the, the interview she did with Dan Cormier, I thought was really fascinating. One of the things I thought that she said that really stuck out to me, she said, if Conan Silverio would have told her to stay at ATT, she would have stayed at ATT. And, you know, I mean, look, I think that you can read between the lines the the the, the ATT love for Kayla Harrison, I th- it, it created a bridge. I mean, I think there's no doubt about it. But, you know, one, one of my other takeaways from the fight, and I thought the UFC production team did an excellent job in between rounds of really giving us the story of what is going on in Juliana Pena's corner. And the thing that really stuck out to me was, and look, you know, Coach Little, he knows Juliana better than anybody else does. No question about it. But the thing I didn't hear is I didn't hear technical advice. You know, and, and you know, after a third round, he tells her, you got 10 minutes to finish her. And in my head, I'm thinking going, well, how should she finish her? Like, to me, that was a little bit surprising to me. I mean, this was a dominating matchup. Did, you know, Juliana Payne had a couple of moments where she went for a submission. But outside of that, this was a dominating performance, but it just, it stuck out to me watching the fight back a second time. I was like, man, you really don't hear technical analysis of how, you know, Payne's coach could tell her how to turn things around. The only thing he said was get her in the clinch. Yeah, man, I think to give him the benefit of the doubt, I don't think there was a single technical advice he could have given her that would have changed this fight, right? But you are, you are right in that. It's like, well, how am I going to apply this to the actual fight? It's I'm not going to magically finish her. Aside from for Pena slipping on an arm bar or a triangle choke, which I tell you what, she did make things interesting in the last few rounds, the way she fought off her back and relentlessly tried for submission attempts. And I think if there's any – well, two things about Amanda in this fight that were downsides. One is she did get tagged a lot. Like a lot of times in those wild flurries, Juliana did land. So it's not like Amanda Nunez. Okay, Amanda Nunez had an amazing performance, but she didn't pitch a perfect game. So keep that in mind. She did get hit a lot. And secondly, uh, there were a few times that Juliana off of her back nearly tapped her, or at least got her. There were two times in my mind that I can think of that that was really, really close. If there was one arm bar, that was really close. So those are two things for Amanda maybe she needs to work on going forward. Um, Look, I think... Amanda kind of showed there is a pretty big gap between her and Pena and really her and the rest of the division. I think moving forward, I don't have any interest in an immediate rematch. I don't see the need for it. Pena dropped multiple 10-8 rounds. I think Pena and Nunez will fight again, but I would like to see a different championship fight next. I don't want to see another rematch, especially because, you know, we're getting a rematch fatigue. I'm looking forward to Figueredo Moreno, but that is the fourth time we've seen that fight. There are other weight classes where we see those rematches, right? You know, at welterweight, obviously, it's not an immediate rematch, but we're seeing Edwards Uzman for the second time, right? That's a different ballgame. I would say I don't want an immediate rematch, but Juliana impressed me with their heart. Amanda impressed me with kind of returning to form and the lioness, man. I mean, who knows how much longer she's going to hold on. I hope she continues to hold on until Kayla Harrison possibly makes a jump to the UFC. I don't know when that's going to be, but in the women's Bantamweight featherweight division, that's the next big fight. 
I mean, the, the key in this matchup was the fact of Nunez going southpaw and that right hook, she just kept landing it over and over again. And, and you bring up a great point. I mean, look, you got to give kudos to Juliana Pena, the toughness that she showed. You know, I think she was officially knocked down three times. I think it was more like five times than what she yeah. was taken down, what, six times in, in the matchup. I mean, it was a one, you know, outside of a couple of submission attempts, it was a one-sided matchup. Like, and I'm like you, like, I don't, I don't have a huge appetite for a, a, a trilogy matchup to be next. I mean, like, look, if I'm Juliana Pena, is that what I'm calling for? No question. That's what I'm calling for. But like, to me, like if I'm the UFC, I probably have more interest in, and I think understanding that, you know, how much, how much longer is a man Nunez going to be doing this thing? I mean, look, she could do this for three, four more years. Who knows? But if I'm the UFC, I think I look at that trilogy matchup against Valentina Shevchenko more than I look at a trilogy matchup against Juliana Pena. You know, Caitlin Vieira is sitting out there. She's saying that she would like to, you know, get Nunez to have that fight in Brazil. You know, but like overall, I would say I don't have a, a ton of an appetite what, for for paying in Nunez three right right now. What if? Uh, okay, I, I'm kind of bleeding topics here. We're going to talk about the PFL later and this fighter later. Thoughts on UFC possibly re-signing Cyborg? I know there's a lot of bad, you know, bad blood between the two sides, but that's a, she's a free agent now, apparently. Yeah, and Dana. Dana mentioned uh, last night um, during the Dana White Contender Series post-fight press conference that uh, Cyborg actually texted him the other day on his birthday to wish him a happy birthday. I, I just. Like if I'm the UFC, I, I think the ultimate question becomes is, okay, if you try to get back into the Chris Cyborg business, what else do you do with her besides a man Nunez fight? Kayla, I, Kayla I, Harrison fight. Well, you Kayla Harrison, Kayla. my understanding, it's basically a, it's like a two, three year deal. Like it's a two, three year deal. It's not a one year deal. No, it's not a one year deal. No, no, it's a multi fight deal because they matched the contract that Bellator offered her. That's that's insane. That's insane that Kayla Harrison might not be in the UFC for three years. I mean, like, Kayla might get cyborg. That's insane, dude. I mean, that's the prime of her career. This is my guess, is that PFL will put a a massive number out to cyborg. That that pure speculation on my part. Peter Murray was on on the MMA Hour today, and he kind of, you know, alluded to the fact that there's been, you know, brief conversations. You know, Nero brought up the fact that, you know, Cyborg, uh, I I knew that her contract was coming to an end and that there was a time period coming up with her. Like, you know, to me, like the PF, for Chris Cyborg, she's in a great position. She really is because she understands that PFL needs her. They need her for that pay-per-view series next year. The one thing I thought that was the most interesting is in that interview with Ariel was Ariel was asking about, Will there be a pay per view in 2022? And and asking, and, and by the way, Peter Murray, very Scott Cokerish, of basically saying, Yeah, we know what the answer is, but we're not giving it to you today. You're going to have to wait a couple of days. Yeah, like, okay. Which I'm like, you're sure. on the it's- biggest MMA show in the world. I don't think anyone would, when well, we're talking about MMA podcasts, MMA live shows, Ariel is the king. We, we all know this. Like, I'm sitting there going, if you have news to break, why would you not break it on Ariel's show? Yeah, I mean, when Shart, when Shart, Shartree goes on Ariel's show, 
he at least I, I remember listening to his interview and he broke the news about the Demetrius Johnson fight. Yeah. You know, he 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 didn't give everything away. But with the PFL, I mean, I don't know what news is broken. I mean, they talked about the global expansion of the PFL and the amount of events, but all these things, you know, where is the championship fight going to be? Where is it going to be broadcasted this year? <laughs> Will there be a pay-per-view? You know, these are things that are, people are interested in. It's like, damn, where's the info? I mean, you know, you get excited about the PFL when you listen to that interview. But I, I must say, by the way, that is messed up. That that contract where you they have the opportunity to match and you basically don't have the ability to go where you want. Like, dude, like, okay. It's seven big contracts for you, how bro. Much, how much money do you think Amanda Nunez made for this Pena fight? How much money do you think she's made for this fight? Base pay? In general, like how much is she taking home when it's all said and done? Just guesstimate. I would say low end, two fifty guaranteed, maybe more, closer to four or five hundred guaranteed. Be my guess. So that's a, that's a pretty big chunk of change. So that's the balance you got to make if you're Kayla. The choice you got to make. You right. You can win the million dollars every year for PFL. Get paid well. But she's <laughs> already come out and said that this will be the last time she does a tournament. So just do super fights. Make good money, but I would venture to guess that if Kayla remained undefeated and went to the UFC, she would have made more money over the next two to three years, and her fame, brand, and star power would have been bigger exponentially. I really do think that two to three year deal hurt her bad, and she may in fact, and I do think she will get a, a big fight. I, I think she'll probably fight Cyborg on pay per view, and her star value will will rise. But being stuck for the PFL for two to three more years, if that's the case, that is a bad deal for one of the most promising fighters in the sport. Yeah, I mean, look, she obviously she agreed to deal with Bellator. She signed a bout agreement to fight Cyborg, which was going to be back in April uh, in Hawaii. But I mean, look, you know, PFL had matching rights, and that, that's the unfortunate. Like, there really is not really unrestricted free agency in MMA, and, and that that to me is a little bit of the problem there. Uh, I mean, look, the PFL, they need Cyborg because if you tell me they can't sign Cyborg and she either re-signs with, with Bellator or maybe she goes signs a one-fight deal with the UFC to fight a man, Nunez, maybe maybe it's a one-fight plus one. I, I Look, if you told me put a percentage on where I think Chris Cyborg's next fight is, I would say probably 5% UFC, 60%. PFL, thirty five percent Bellator. I'm really proud I, I just, of you for like, doing the math right on that one. <laughs> I, I, I had to start thinking my head there, but like, like the one thing that I noticed when I did my Bellator rankings after uh, the last card was that there was only nine total fighters to, or I guess you'd say eight fighters to rank because Cyborg's a champion. So two fighters were no longer a part of the pool. It just it just makes me wonder, like, if you're Bellator, you know, do, do you do you stay in that Chris Cyborg business? Like, like, look, as a fight fan, I want to see Kayla Harrison versus Chris Cyborg. Like, my thing with Kayla Harrison is, like, I truly believe that she wants to go down as the greatest women's mixed martial arts. Now, I think all she wants to get paid too. But the reality is, and this is no disrespect to what the PFL is doing right now, you can't be in the PFL and have a 
a arguable resume to say you are the best fighter. Yeah, because for Kayla, the opponent she needs to beat, there aren't that many in her weight class at 145. Uh, It's two names to validate herself. It's Cyborg and it's Amanda Nunez. And then you start looking at taking on credible UFC bantamweights who put on weight and, and, and fight weight class above. So those are the two names for Kayla to put herself in the same category as Amanda or Valentina Shevchenko. I think she's going to get an opportunity to beat Cyborg. But, yeah, I think um, kind of backtracking back to what's next for Nunez, I, I think, you know, Shevchenko didn't sound too excited about – basically when I listened to Shevchenko on Ariel Hawani's show, it sounded like she didn't want to fight at 135 next. It's kind of like it, it, it's a major adjustment for her to move up and down when it comes to the muscle mass. And it doesn't sound like timeline-wise she was ready for that. Now, things change. Wouldn't be surprised if Chenko Nunez is obviously a big fight. I'd say that's probably the most likely fight. If I was the fight promoter, I would probably try and book that fight. May, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I would. Uh, but other than that, I would go Nunez-Viera. And then I guess Nunez Pena three would be the third match. You know, yeah. also I would try and get Cyborg on the books and do a featherweight championship defense. But yeah, I mean, I think the big question is if Pena doesn't get the trilogy matchup, and and let's just say it's Caleb Vier, just just throwing it out there. I mean, it, it's like what do you do? You know, you, you've got then number three challenger is Holly Holm, four Arena Aldana. Aldana just pulled out of a fight due to injury. Then it's Raquel Pennington, then Shunikunskaya, Aspen Ladd, who just pulled out of her matchup against Sarah McMahon. So, I mean, it's like, to me, I don't think there's a ton of options. I mean, I think at the end of the day, both these girls need to rest up and and see where they're at there. But, uh, I mean, look, it it was a great performance by by Man Nunez. And uh, I will say this, like, for people like um, Daniel Cormier on his YouTube channel, when he does those sit-down interviews, they're really good. Like, because I feel like the fighters just open up more to D.C., because of who he is and, and his credentials as a fighter. And, you know, I, I thought I learned a lot about man Nunez because I thought one of the questions leading into the fight last week was, okay, how much of the COVID and the knee injury was maybe a great excuse. But like, she talked about the fact of like, she couldn't run and she would literally train one day, have to take three days off because her knee was so bad. And, and she talked about how Nina had told her that she needed to pull out of the matchup. And, you know, she kind of, and, and I mean, look, I, I don't think she paid, paid an American top team in a great light. I don't think she did. I think that, you know, she painted a picture that the ATT coaches didn't tell her to pull out of that fight when maybe she should have. And who knows? Maybe she pulls out of that fight. Maybe she does ultimately lose Juliana Pena. But um, it, it was it was a great performance uh, by her. We'll, we'll see what happens with Juliana Pena next. Co-main event, Brandon Moreno is a year interim flyweight champion getting that third-round victory here against Kai Carr France. Kai Carr France, I thought was performing well in, in that matchup. And, you know, and just, man, he is caught. Brutal liver kick, man. Just the the sound you hear of that kick that lands there. And just, and for, I actually did an interview with Bram Reno's BJJ coach uh, today. And what was probably the most interesting part to me, because he is a multiple-time world champion, and, uh, you know, he was saying to me, he said he go, he was basically essentially talking about how him and James Krause are, are very similar in the fact that they both basically decided that we've got to this point of we need to concentrate on 
the fighters and the people that we're working with as opposed to our own career, even though there wasn't, there really wasn't much BJJ action in this matchup. Uh, Moreno looked good, but uh, Kai Car France, I, I thought he was looking good through, uh, you know, the first two and a half rounds. Yeah, this is strange, even though Brandon won this fight. But if these two fought again, I would pick Kai Car France. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I felt like he was outstriking Brandon in I this did too. fight. I did too. Like, dude, especially round two. You know, and, and that's because I was going into this fight with the bias towards Moreno, seeing it through his perspective, right? If it was a 10-10 round, my biased ass was going to give him Moreno 10-9. <laughs> like, that's how I was seeing it. I was rooting for him, and I'm happy he won. But to be frank with you, I felt like Kai was the better striker. And if Kai does get another fight with Brandon down the line after Figgy, after Pantoja, uh... I might pick Kai Carr, France, because, dude, his stand-up was sick. But, bro, that liver shot was unbelievable. Uh, you know, James Krause on Aerial Show talked about how they did a lot of stuff to the head early on with the, with the kick, opening it up to the body. He gave him the advice in the corner, and it was an unbelievable shot that was on Center that people were talking about. It was an amazing win for Brandon Moreno. Um, he's a hell of a fighter, bro. I'm so excited for the for the fight. I don't get the criticism of I don't get the criticism of people talking about how Figueredo going into the cage was his travesty. I, yeah, I, I don't get that great. either. Yeah, it was a great moment, dude. It was a great moment. I loved seeing something like that. Yeah, because so you know, I, I saw all that reaction, and then I'm watching back on because I was in a, a place where I couldn't hear the you know what was being said, and then I, I went back and I'm just like. What was wrong with it? I mean, first off, the UFC let him in the cage. Yeah. Let's not forget yeah. that. Like, the security guys let him in. I thought, you know, I thought it did a good job of trying to sell this one up. I mean, I mean, look, I think there's going to be the questions about Diveson and, and his weight. I think it's always going to be a question with him. But, um, you know, we're going to get that one again. Kai Car France, I think, will we'll fight for the UFC title at, at some point. I think, to me, the biggest takeaway, I think, has to be the fact of how much Kai Car France was able to keep this fight on the ground or on the feet, I should say, you know, stopping those three takedown attempts from Bram Moreno. Yeah, dude, Kai's looking good. Both these, dude, this flyweight division is freaking exciting, bro. Like, how can you not watch these flyweights week in and week out and get excited about the future of this division? Kai Kaur France is going to return to this level. Brandon Moreno continues to improve, right? The addition of James Krause has played a pivotal role in, in his progression, and it's just the start. What's he going to look like against Figueredo? What's Figueredo going to look like? Guys like Asker, Askarov. We saw that fight between Matt Snell and, and Sumadarji, and that was just a hell of a fight. Matt Snell was in attendance. Earlier in the car, Pantoja looked phenomenal. Not to mention... <laughs> Bro, Pantoja, he came out fighting, thinking like you only had three minutes to win a fight. <laughs> dude, dude, that was unreal. I've never seen a dude come out with so much damn... Like, he had a fire under his ass, dude. And he wanted to make a statement, and he did. Like, it was one of those things where Brandon and Kai had a stinker, and we current interim champion. I would have said, screw you, give Pantoja the title fight. Because right? Alex Perez is no joke. And Pantoja ran through him like it was Hulk Hogan taking on Joe Schmo on the undercard of a WWF house show. Barry it Horowitz, was a, bro. Come on. Yeah, get, Barry, you got to get your jobber name right, bro. Or, or the Brooklyn Brawler. <laughs> yeah, brother. 90 seconds, dude. 
Dude, and, I mean, and, he looked yeah, he uh, looked amazing. By the way, Askar Askarov has been booked for a matchup in October against Brandon Roy Val. That's going to be October the fifteenth. Oh, man, puts Brandon Roy Val in a great position. You mentioned about James Kraus. You know, he uh, said that he's done. I think a lot of people, I think, kind of felt that. Even though, like, you always kind of wondered, you know, would there be some guy that falls out on way in day? And magically, James Kraus, who was there coaching somebody, who was going to step in. Uh, but I liked what James said this uh, over the past couple of days. He's like, look. He goes, a champion came to our gym, and we just worked with him. Yeah, James is a very interesting cat, man. I, uh, It's crazy. He retired. Dude, this dude, James, freaking look at look at the end of his career. Pretty impressive, right? He went 7-1 and one in his last eight fights. You don't think about that, but. And, he, and you think about that loss. He stepped in on weigh-in day. That's true. And that's wild. That's wild. Man. And he stepped up to fight at 85 as opposed to 70. <laughs> yeah, you're totally right. I completely forgot about the context between that fight against Trevin. Dude, that's wild. So theoretically, he could have retired on a seven-fight win streak. I, I don't know if you uh, – he does a show on YouTube, uh, a betting show. Yeah, the 1% and, or something. Yeah, it's, it's a very good show. Very, I, I, I love listening to James Cross break down a fight. And as, as a co-host, he goes, so someone falls out this week and you step in and he goes, no, man, he goes – I got a guy. I got. I'm coaching a guy fighting for a world title. No, I am not stepping in to fight anybody. Yeah. Uh, apparently, he bets on his own fights, which is like sounds almost illegal, but it's not. I guess. I. It's, I would bet. I would. I would bet more majority. But I was actually. Uh, yeah. I, th- I thought yeah. it was interesting is because uh, Anna Florian podcast is, a, is one of the MMA podcasts I like to listen to. And um, I want to say it was either this week's episode or last week's episode. Anik talked about as a UFC broadcaster, or I would guess UFC employee, he's not allowed to bet on any MMA. Do you think that is a UFC thing, an ESPN thing, or an Endeavor thing? Do you think Dana White bets on fights? No. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Promoters don't bet on fights. I would, I would think true. it's a UFC company policy. Yeah. Damn, I guess James Cross won't be a broadcaster then. He'd probably be pretty good. Yeah, that was a stupid question about Dana. I think I, I my, would I would I think probably the bigger question on that is I wonder if you're a UFC employee and say you work in Vegas, are is part of your employment that you can't walk into a uh, a sports book? I mean I guess so. He might have insider information. I mean, how if you work for the PFL, you might have a whole week advance on who, who to bet on. But yeah, I, I would think so. It's a very interesting thing. Excuse me. I think um, when I kind of said, is this legal? That's kind of me as a sports fan growing up and hearing the stories of Pete Rose, yeah. stuff like that. But I think maybe in the, in the more modern age, it's more normal. And then, yeah, I mean, you hear stories all it's, the time of, of like of fighters literally betting on themselves but for James, man, I mean, this guy's in it. Apparently, he makes a lot of money off of it. He has his own Discord channel. Look, yada, I, yada. I think sports betting is just more um, socially accepted now than it was 10 years ago. Yeah, and it'll continue to, to, to get that way. Yeah, as, as more and more states adopt sports betting, I, I just think it just becomes part. I mean, like, I mean, when is the last time you turn on a sporting event and you, and you heard nothing about betting? Maybe if there's a high school event, that's about it. Yeah, but, but, but about a, profe- it. a professional sport, it, it's being integrated into that broadcast. 
Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, ESPN is like uh, you turn on a certain channel and they just have like the betting odds everywhere all the time. I don't know if it's ESPNU or what, but I always see it on sometimes. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, you see it all the time there. But, I mean, Brandon looked great. Look forward to seeing him at Figueiredo. Uh, mm-hmm. Brandon said he'd go to Brazil. So, you know, I guess the question ultimately is, does UFC go to Brazil with, with what's kind of going on there? Uh, you mentioned about Pantoja, man. Great win there. Uh, send the healing vibes. Anthony Smith, uh, Dana White did say that uh, he has a broken leg uh, with for surgery. Uh, and Kaliev, I, I don't think it's a performance that, that maybe puts him ahead of potentially Glover to share, but we'll see what happens there. Uh, one thing I do want to mention about the prelims is that heavyweight matchup between Hamdi and and Dantel and Joe Rogan. There was a part of this matchup where I don't know, maybe it was, maybe it was Dan Mergliata was a referee in that one. I mean, oh man. I think it was, I think it was big Dan was a referee in that one. <laughs> Unfortunately, big Dan had a bad moment on the main guard with, with yeah. Derek Lewis, which I, you know, we can talk about that in a second, but you know, Joe was bringing up the point of, he believes that the referee should not have the ability to stand the fight up. And I would say this, for the most part, I agree with Joe Rogan. It is not the referee's job to get your your butt off your back. That's got to be on the fighter. Now, now if literally the other guy is just literally laying on doing nothing, then I think a stand-up is required. But like in that fight, when he stood him up, I did not like the stand-up. And uh, just ahead, just housekeeping, according to SureDog, the referee in that fight was Kerry Hatley. So yeah, to- yeah, that's right. Just housekeeping. Okay, uh, on to your point, I pretty much totally agree. Um, I feel like early on in the UFC, we would see a lot more lay and pray guys. Like, we're talking like the like Dan Severn on top of a dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mark Coleman. Like, like these guys who came in and it was just, I'm a damn good amateur wrestler and I'm going to stay here. But, dude, when I watch modern mixed martial arts, man, guys are consistently working. There are very few moments where I think stand this fight up. And in this heavyweight matchup, I didn't feel like it was justified. No, um, no. I, I didn't yeah. like the stand up there. By the way, Big Dan. Um, yeah, let's we'll talk about that. Okay. What did you think? Or what did you think of the stoppage? Because I have some thoughts here. It's a early stoppage, but, and, and I heard Curse Blaze bring this point up, and it's a spot on point. In a heavyweight fight, you fall face first. What referee's not going to stop that fight? Yes, if you are eating the canvas, like, you're not supposed to have a meal midway through the fight. And Derek Lewis was having a meal in the middle of this fight. So here's the thing. When Dan made that decision, he made that decision to stop the fight, it makes all the sense in the world. Derek Lewis is eating the canvas. But we have seen in heavyweight fights, guys get knocked back into it. If there's any fighter in the heavyweight class that has a chance of winning a fight after that happened, Derek Lewis is the guy who I think could do it, who could return to form and, and bounce back. So it's a tough thing, man. It really is. It was an anticlimactic finish. At the end of the day, I think Dan should have been a little more patient and let the fight continue to play out. But I'm not going to crucify him because, again, Derek Lewis was eating the cannabis. You, you, you just can't fall like that, man. You just can't. Yeah. Like, I, I, I feel like if you – you know, pulled 10 referees and said, you know, it's a striking matchup, heavyweight matchup, and one heavyweight falls flat on his face. I feel like m- most of them, you know, are, are going to stop that. Was, you know, it's unfortunate I, for Big Dan. Dude, but, you got to feel bad for uh, freaking uh, Sergey Pavlovich. Yeah. 
Because he has this badass performance, dude. He looks great. Yeah, I mean, because he had been on a great role leading into this, but he didn't have that notable win. And now it's his, it's a notable win, puts himself uh, in a great position. Uh, something else I'll note about this card, Orion Koski, who got a win in the first fight of the night. He did miss weight, uh, got that win over Blood Diamond. I actually talked to him today. That interview is going to be on Sunday's edition uh, of the podcast. And uh, he's going to go to the PI. He's going to get a body density test done. And uh, basically said that, He's he cut he's cut weight all his life the same exact way. Uh, mentioned that the doctors told him that if he wanted to try to keep cutting weight, they were going to pull him from the fight. So that is the reason why this matchup ultimately did take place. He gave a lot of credit to Blood Diamond. Uh, he said, you know, look, a lot of the game plan was about utilizing the grappling and going that route. But uh, he, he said, gave a lot of credit to Blood Diamond and what he did uh, in terms of that one. But uh, that's kind of what I, you know, pretty much what I got here for uh, UFC 277. Yeah, the only thing I would wrap up on is Alex Moreno and Matthew Samuel's burger had a really good fight on the prelims. If you haven't checked it out, check that one out. Drew Dober performed really well in the prelims, too, getting a late fight finish. And then, you know, Michael Morales, pretty, pretty solid fighter there. Uh, good win over Adam Fugate. But. but Overall, the story was the main card. I think Ankalaev probably didn't do enough to get the light heavyweight title fight. I would put Ankalaev over Jan Blahovich. I would put Glover over Ankalaev. But yeah, overall, I enjoyed the hell out of the fights. Nunez Pena 2 is a fight that I will remember for a very long time. Yeah, it, it was a great matchup. Uh, something to note before we get into this week's MMA. Of course, we got uh, PFL on Friday and uh, the UFC on Saturday. I did talk to Mike Mazzulli earlier today. Of course, last week on the podcast, you know, we talked about some of the things that would happen with the Association of Boxing Commission and Combat Sports annual meeting. They did pass two new rules. One of those rules being uh, giving fighters five minutes to recover from an eye poke, just like from a Gorn strike. I, I like that decision. Uh, and then they're, they're, they did approve fighters where sleeves which was kind of a a, a debate uh, i thought what well, probably the most interesting debate about that one was you know basically saying is if you have a striker versus a grappler does that give a little bit of an advantage uh to the grappler if, if they can somehow keep that matchup on the ground um and also he did note that they have uh, put in recommendations for uh, uh rules for bare knuckle fighting uh bare knuckle fighting i guess i shouldn't say bkfc i should just say bare knuckle fighting but they've made uh recommendations to all the commissions if they are going to regulate bare knuckle of what the rule set should be very interesting stuff uh it's on youtube also if you want to give it a check out and watch some of the information there it's uh it's good stuff man do you have any takeaways from that in terms of the meeting yeah I think the eye poke is really the biggest thing. You know, um, there really wasn't a ton of... Oh, the other thing I should note. So, there's been this uh, petition online, and it's been signed by a ton of fighters. I, I think it might be over 150 at this point. About there being a fighter committee that's just fighters. And the commission's all for it, but the thing that I will tell people that are, have started this and are, are and are pushing it, the door's always been open. It's not like these commissions had closed that door to fighters. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess all this stuff online, I'm sitting there going, Missouri has always invited fighters to come to the ABC meeting. So yeah. I'm not quite sure why this petition to get a fighter committee started. Um, I'm interested. I will say this with all the fighters that have signed up for this. I'm interested to see who wants to go all in and 
have the monthly meetings and, and meet and do all those things um, and, and what they could accomplish. Yeah, that would be great. Um, I don't know how much action will happen because it's tedious work. It's not fun, but it's important. And uh, it would be cool to see an actual fighter committee. But, yeah, it doesn't seem like there was actually that barrier of entry for them in the first place. Uh, of course, uh, coming up this weekend, PFL and the UFC PFL on Friday, the start of the playoffs. Uh, Peter Murray was on Aaron Hawani show today. And, uh, you know, he, he, he has promoter hat on. No question about it. Once again, uh, calling uh, themselves the number two mixed martial arts organization in the world, um, which I mean, look, I think there are some metrics that they have a very valid point on. And I think television distribution puts them above Bellator. But. I just wish, I just wish, Daniel, when he says this in interviews, someone could go, do you consider social media a key metric? Here's what I thought was interesting. So I went down the rabbit hole again. I did this a couple months ago. The thing that shocked me the most when I went down this rabbit hole comparing Bellator and PFL on social media was there was two differences, and major, big differences. It was on Instagram and TikTok. They were pretty, you know, Bellator had an edge on Facebook and, and Twitter, but wasn't a huge, huge drastic number. I want to say on Twitter, it was probably about 200,000 more followers on, on Facebook, probably around the same number. But on Instagram, Bellator has 3.3 million followers on Instagram. The PFL has 518,000. I mean, that's a, that's a drastic difference when we're talking about follower base. And, but on TikTok... PFL has 547,000 followers where Bellator only has 103,000 followers. I thought, I thought that was kind of interesting, but it's just, it's one of those things. Like I just wish someone would bring that up. Peter Murray go. So where's social media playing into this? Yeah, it's a look. Are they the number two promotion in the world? I don't think so. I don't know if Bellator is, it's probably like Ryzen or one FC or KSW to be honest with you. I, you know, I, I would, I would almost, maybe circle the question back on him is why do you believe you're the number two mixed martial arts organization in the United States? Yeah. Cause that's kind of the real competition. Cause the thing is like Bellator hasn't been doing great business lately, in my opinion, and neither has the PFL. It really feels like the number two promotion in the, um, in the MMA landscape has it's been a while since it's really mattered significantly on a consistent basis. Like, like, like the peak of the number two MMA promotion, in my opinion, was WEC Strike Force in America, and then Bellator during the Bjorn Rebney era. Bellator, whenever we had the the pay per view in Nashville, stuff like, and that was the and hell, even some of the World Series of Fighting cards. It felt like more people cared about those fight cards than anything that PFL did this year. And then for Bellator, the only fight card recently that people have really talked about was the McKee fight against Pitbull. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, we all know the UFC is they've got a majority of the market share. And, you know, there's just there's a huge difference between number one and number two. You know, like I literally say, like, if you sat there and you polled 100 MMA fans, you may get more answers for PFL. You may. And I think part of that is also they're a more accessible promotion to watch as opposed to Bellator being on Showtime where 
you know, you have to have that subscription showtime, which I mean, look, if you are a UFC fan, the reality is you luckily have that ESPN plus subscription. And like Ariel had this tweet where he said the MMA hour question of the day, what is the number two MMA promotion in the world? Here's how I respond to it. I think it's going to depend on who you ask, but since I work in the restaurant and bar industry, it's a rarity that we are asked if we are showing MMA, not named UFC. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these are all great points. I think the most interesting point about PFL's potential is the idea that they are more likely to get a new fan than other promotions. And I think that's definitely true in America. You mentioned it. The deal with ESPN is amazing. The accessibility for PFL is so much easier than Bellator. When I go on the ESPN Plus app and I want to go watch a UFC fight, I scroll down and I go to the leagues. And the third league I, I see is UFC. And when I, when I go to click on it, I see PFL 2 logos next to it. When I'm trying to watch UFC content on ESPN+, Plus, which is often, and I'm not the only one, I consistently see the PFL. At times, I'll see the PFL on the lower third of ESPN. All the time, I see UFC and the Dana White Contender Series. It's, it's a phenomenal partnership. Yeah. Um, ESPN has a vested interest of people getting on the ESPN Plus platform, and PFL is a pretty good content that they have there. So all in all, it's a good relationship. PFL has potential. PFL is going to have free agents they can sign in the future that are going to be needle movers like Nate Diaz. I don't think they're going to sign him, but he's one of those names. Uh, today, saying you're the number two promotion in America, I don't necessarily know if there's anything to be proud of currently because I don't think the number two promotion in America is doing shows that matter to casual fans right now. Let me mention some interesting responses that Ariel got on, on his Twitter. KSW, another contender. Big professional-looking events that are fun to watch. I think that's a that's a solid comment to mention. Ne- another response. Difficult question. One has a great final product. By the way, this is from... Uh, let me see what this guy's Twitter handle name is. Uh, App Reptilian LVN94. So this is not me speaking. This is me just reading a tweet. Uh, it says, difficult question. One has a great final product, my subjective view, but too much shady stuff, even for low standards in MMA. Bellator has an excellent foundation, but the final product is inconsistent. PFL has a lot of good going on, but it's still a work in progress. Uh, another one here uh, from Sanders Buckle, who I know um, uh, tweets at me several times. He goes, Bellator just doesn't put on enough shows. And they do a good job scouting and finding fighters. It's just they still haven't done a good enough job when promoting fights. Maybe they should bring on somebody that can do that. Uh, Another one says, one, by far, there are the only company that seems like a major show besides the UFC. Also, they have a lot of finishes in their cards. Two, rarely a boring fight unlike Bellator and PFL. The one thing I'll say about one championship, what I do like about watching their show is they give you a mixture of everything with with MMA, kickboxing, and Muay Thai. I, I think they're fun to watch. It's But, I mean, like, look, it's everyone's going to have their own opinion on it. But at the end of the day, I just want to see good fights, Daniel. That's all I want to see. And, and I want to get, I want to see fights that get me excited. Do, uh, do these fights get you excited this week? Are you excited for these fights on PFL seven in New York? I'm not, I mean, I watch them, but I wouldn't say I'm giddy for them. I mean, I'm excited for the main event. I mean, look, um, yeah. I mean, Pettis, Pettis Ray, 
I'm excited for that fight. You know, got a Josh Silvera stepping in as an alternate from the Challenger series against Omari Ekmanoff. Yeah, I mean, I, I would look at Rob. I think Rob Wilkinson and Delonte Monte, they're at 205 pounds. I think that's got a chance to be uh, an exciting matchup. Um, you know, and Pettis is always a fun guy to watch. Uh, uh, Elmar Umarov, who's a part of the preliminary card, I had a chance to interview him. He's taking on Lucas Barbosa, uh, who is a BJJ, um, you know, champion that one kind of interested me as well but you know overall like and even over on the ufc card like i would say i probably love the co-main event more than i love the main event with vicente luque and jeff neal um you know i I didn't really i mean i took in a a little bit of the ultimate fighter but it's just it's a show that doesn't uh get me i mean terrence mckinney always a fun guy to watch i had him on the show uh you know he, he probably the most interesting thing i thought he said to me was and, and uh, we, I think we were, I was kind of talking about, you know, perceptions versus reality. And, you know, he was talking about, you know, he doesn't like the perception that people think he has bad cardio. But he said, he goes, he goes, I don't want to be known as a guy who is known for having a great chin. I want to be known as a guy who finishes fights. <laughs> Which I kind of feel like that, that that's probably Dana White's motto for Dana White's contender series. Yeah, I mean, episode one of the contender series, I can't blame Dana that the fights are boring. But yeah, he... Uh ripped off a crazy speech and I've only seen the first fight of week two, which was a finish in the first round. And I have seen the spoilers and I've seen that five people have been awarded contracts. So it sounds like people listened to Dana white. Um, man, Terrence is a big favorite against Eric Gonzalez here. <laughs> Dude, I, uh, I did my betting show last night, I recorded it last night, it comes out tonight. And, uh, when I saw it, I was like, Oh, Oh, Oh man, 10 to one betting favorite. He might even be more than that at this point. Yeah, bro. Um, Damn. So, yeah, Terrence. Look, I watched the entire season of The Ultimate Fighter. So I am, in fact, looking forward to this main card. I'm invested in Zach Pauga and Muhammad Usman and Juliana Miller and Brogan Walker. I am invested in these fights, Jason. I got to say, it's kind of interesting who the betting odds here. Brogan Walker at plus 100 is very surprising. She has a lot more experience than Juliana Miller. And if... No one had if this if it was Broken Walker, Juliana Miller, in Invecta FC without the context of watching this TV show, I think the odds are drastically different. What's broken as a favorite, so that's some interesting money to lay down. Yeah, I mean, a, um, Juliana Miller is known for her grappling. She's actually one of Alima Lay McFarland's main training partners. Uh, Alima told me last week that if she did not have a fight next week, she would actually be in the corner uh, of Miller in this matchup. But, uh, I mean, it's pretty much a, a pick a matchup in there. Uh, you know, the main event, Jamal Hill and Tiago Santos, the question really is, will the Tiago Santos that fought leading up that John Jones ever return? And we just I mean, haven't seen that guy. Yeah, I, I I doubt it, dude. I doubt it. And um, Jamal Hill's a tough opponent for him to return. Uh, it's, it's surprising to me that Santos is plus 230, to be honest with you. Like, I get why Jamal Hill's a favorite. We've seen Santos win one fight in five. You know, the Santos. But great. It's, it's all against the leaders of this division, though. Yes, Rakic, Ankalaev, Glover, Jones. And before that, he had a super awesome win over Jan, but it's after the Jones fight. The thing about Santos is like he lets, okay. So like Santos just like, doesn't throw a lot of strikes on the feet and yeah. like 
he has pretty good power. I just don't think he's going to win rounds against Jamal Hill. Like, I feel like Jamal Hill's just going to win rounds, and I don't know if he's going to be able to finish Tiago Santos because, you know, Hill does finish most guys. I don't know if Jamal Hill has been in um, five rounds before, maybe before the UFC. He has, but I, I don't know. That would be interesting. I think Santos maybe give him the edge as the fight continues to go along, and, and Jamal actually has been in a five-round fight before uh, he was in the UFC. So, look, I think Jamal wins this fight. I just think he's the more active striker. I think he's going to land more punches, faster, younger. I think he's probably going to be able to get back on the feet if he gets taken down. I think this is Jamal's fight to win for sure. The thing is, um, Santos does have absurd power, and he could absolutely knock out Jamal Hill with the counter strike or something. But I, I think I think Jamal wins that main event, bro. Yeah, I think he wins there. I like Luke in the, in the co-main event. I think he wins by decision. Jeff Neal uh, has not been finished inside the UFC. The last time he got finished was outside the UFC against Kevin Holland back in, I want to say it was 2017, uh, when that matchup took place. But, like, overall, like, you know, it, it's – Ariel brought up a great point in his show uh, today. And it's like he said, we really have three types of UFC events currently. We got your pay-per-views. We got your fight night cards in front of fans, and then we got your Apex cards. This is an Apex card. Yeah, it's an Apex card. Yeah, this is an yeah. He's totally right, but we've said it too, bro. We've said it all along. You know what we said? You can tell what you can tell if they're try, if they have to sell tickets or not, uh, based on what the card is. This is one where it's clear they don't need to sell tickets. This is one thing I will say again, just to touch back on Juliana Miller star potential. She has star potential. I, I think she's going to beat Broken Walker. Because the way she fights is she just goes like hardcore, aggressive, nonstop. Hello, grappler, as you mentioned. Great personality. Juliana Miller has legitimate star potential. She's just got to go and win fights. Keep your eyes peeled on Juliana. By the way, Muhammad Usman, as an underdog, kind of like I, I would maybe throw a little cheddar. I'm picking Zach Palga to beat Muhammad Usman. But Muhammad Usman has enough tools to win a fight like this. Um, but, yeah, uh, this is an Apex card with uh, – Usually the Apex cards have about one or two good servings of, of things in it. That's Luke A. Neal and Jamal Hill, Tiago Santos. I mean, I'm looking forward to those fights, but the rest, aside from the Ultimate Fighter fights and the Terrence McKinney fight, uh, not really looking forward to too much else. When uh, when the, the cast for the Ultimate Fighter was released, someone I, I value their opinion, they looked at the heavyweights and they said, Zach's going to win it. Yeah. He, he now, clearly... he's like, now, he's he's a light heavyweight. He's not a heavyweight. He is one of Curtis Blades' his main training partners there at uh, Elevation Fight Team there in Colorado. But, um, I mean, look, it's, you know, I'm always down to watch fights. I mean, I, I'm a, you know, I'm a hardcore degenerate. No, don't kid yourself. But, like, I don't have a huge excitement level for these fights. Yeah. What you got to do, Jason, is just watch all the Ultimate Fighter in the next few days and get hyped. Hey, bro, I don't cut that kind of time, bro. <laughs> I know. I know. You got, yeah. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, but, you know, uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, what else? What's on the horizon? Two seventy eight, Edward yeah. Usman. I mean, we don't have the Jake Paul fight to get excited about. That got canceled. Yeah, you know, you mentioned uh, earlier about you know Bellator putting together fights that you want to see. Um, sitting here in the office today, and I see MMA Junkie um, post a story that uh, was originally uh, I want to say it was the uh, Orange County Register is the one who broke it. If, it's, if it wasn't them, it was it was another California paper. 
where uh, they're heading to Long Beach uh, October the 1st, and we got Patricio Pitbull headlining the card, defending the featherweight title against Adam Borax. And the co-main event, AJ McKee's going to 155 <laughs> to fight Spike Carlisle. And I tweeted about it, and I was like, man, there has got to be something to this story. Because, and then right before we were doing the show, uh, Amy Kaplan, fan side, she posted an interview with AJ McKee where uh, AJ McKee mentioned that the trilogy matchup was never offered to him. Um, I, I had sources that told me the same exact thing. Um, I was told that what it was said to me was that McKee wanted to go up to 155 pounds. He said in the interview that if he was not having a trilogy matchup, Against Pit, against Patricio Pitbull, he had no interest in going back down to 145 pounds. Um, you know, I, I think probably the question mark probably becomes is why was this fight, this trilogy matchup, not offered? I think that's probably the biggest question. Um, if you got a chance to talk to Scott Coker, I mean, I think it's probably the, the question because, like, to me, like, in as a a fight fan consumer, like, that's the one fight I want to see Bellator put on. Like I, don't, I, I don't even know what fight number two I would say that Bellator can put on that would get me excited. Look, I got to disagree with you. That last fight sucked. That last it, fight sucked, no, Okay, I get you. But to, like <laughs> for Patricio Pitbull, I mean, and Adam Bork's very talented fighter, no question about it. Should be a fun fight. But like you tell me, like, what is the fight that gets me to stay home on a Saturday night? Or is during football season, if I'm on the road, I'm not sure, you know, I haven't really looked at my road schedule too much. I like I know I'm in Nashville in two weeks, and then the week after that I'm in Indianapolis, but I haven't really looked too much farther past that. Um, but would I sit in my hotel room on a Saturday night to watch a Bellator fight that's live, that's not Pitbull uh, and McKee? Potentially. But that's the one fight I want to see. You're right in that. If you told me that in one room Pitbull's fighting Adam Borax and in one room Pitbull's fighting McKee, I will go to the room where he's fighting McKee. You're right about that. And also, like, no disrespect to Spike Carlisle here. If AJ McKee's plan is to contend for the 155-pound title, I want to see him fight someone in the top 10. What is, with this light, what is with this lightweight division where the way to get to a championship fight is by fighting guys who aren't fight like between him and Usman Nurmagomedov, dude? Let's let's see uh let's see uh AJ versus Nurmagomedov. That's there, a fight. There's That's a, a fight. lot of rumblings that Usman Nurmagomedov's going to get the next title shot. Dude, what the hell, Bellator? Why the hell is AJ McKee? First off, that's crazy what you just said that that he is going to get a title shot. Um, he he look, not he, being one person in the top ten. Yeah, <laughs> bro, this is how the hell is it not Borax and Pitbull and McKee versus Nurmagomedov, dude? That is a freaking look, marketable card. Holy crap! I said prior to this that I would book Patriki against Musayev. You got you got the history there with Musayev having a win over him already. Then I would book Shalby versus Namagamadoff. Now, if Usman gets the title matchup, Musayev Shalby to me is the fight to make. And then it is, then you, you know, MMA math doesn't work. Then we got Brent Primus just coming off a loss. Under him, under and my is at least my rankings. 
Then I've got Benson Henderson. Of course, Benson's got that loss against Premacy. He just re- uh, resigned with Bellator. Then you got Islam Maidov, Miles Jury, Adam Piccolotti. Like, you know, Spike Carlisle to me is right there on the verge of, of being in the top 10. But, like, you know, if the plan is to, you know, that potentially McKee is going to rush his way up this division, like, I would rather see him fight maybe someone like a Vincent Henderson. How many more fights does McKee have on his deal? I'm not sure. I want to oh. say, I remember there was an article that he did, and I think it's, it. and this was before his title fight, that I believe the champion clause extended his fight, his uh, contract by three fights. I'm, and I could be wrong, but I, I think that's what I read. Back Dude, these the- these clauses are messed up, bro. Holy crap! These contracts are screwed up. <laughs> there's Here's actually a- there's actually um, it's a website called All Star um, that covers MMA, and they I haven't read the story yet, but they did a story on fighter contracts. And I mean, look, it, the one thing is, is yeah, the, these these fighter contracts are not fighter friendly. Yeah, like. We need um, we need a fighters union. We need more transparency. Like, dude, you know how hard it is to figure out. I can't even like tell you, talk to you about fighter business. I don't even know the attendance for these shows. Okay, I can't. All, right, all right. What's got a better chance of happening? Nate Diaz resigns with the UFC, or a fighters union happens. Oh, Nate Diaz resigns with the UFC. <laughs> Yeah. He, he, bro, he resigned with the UFC. Yeah, I was thinking about that, dude. You could do uh, Nate Diaz, AJ McKee fight on a Jake Paul card. You know, that'd be that's something to think about. But I, I would say this: I do wonder, would PFL just give Nate Diaz a blank check and an opportunity? You'd have to give him a blank check and an opportunity for him to box and run his own promotion. And do whatever the hell he wants. I feel like PFL would like I don't know. Yes, and, and the I, is yes. I I, the I, is yes. I just feel like they would do that just because, yeah. like when you look at this pay per view division, they want to run. And you know, Don Davis already come out talk about this going to be a. Uh, I think he said fifty dollar pay per view. It's like to get me to put over fifty dollars. Okay, if you tell me you got Cyborg Kayla Harrison, all right, sign me up. I'm I'm buying that pay per view. But I don't know what else they do. What do you what do you think about the idea? Do you think PFL could buy Bellator? Uh no. You don't think so? I mean, I mean, look, it seems like every year we get, you know, somebody new has invested in PFL, which to me is always a question mark of why do you yeah. need new investors? Why why aren't the current investors just putting more money up? Yeah, no, I don't think look, I don't I don't I, think I, PFL okay. has a great business model. Right. My, I also think they have a lot of money or I don't know what the hell's going on at the PFL. My gut feeling is if somebody gave Viacom a big enough offer, I think they'd sell Bellator. Well, that's the th- that's the other side of the equation is like I don't feel like Viacom loves Bellator. Right. I just feel like Bellator is just a property they have. And, you know, I yeah. And Viacom to me doesn't seem like a hot company either. By and large, but I don't know much about business like that. But uh, yeah, so that's kind of why I flew that. I, idea I will say I do like Paramount Plus, though. You, you watch Yellowstone or what? I've not, but that's on uh, my watch list. What do you watch on Paramount Plus? Uh, we watch The Challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, Paramount so, Plus is such an old person streaming service, by the way. You know what? F you. Okay. <laughs> Dude, F you know who also likes Paramount Plus? My uncle. <laughs> Look. Okay. You know what? I used to like you. 
what, what, the, what do you watch on uh, Paramount Plus? Uh, my wife of- watches a lot of the MTV shows. Um, because, uh, and, and then we started watching Bull, the, uh, the, the courtroom drama show. Damn. You know, Paramount Plus is not a sexy name for the people that have the MTV stuff. Like, they need a sexier name. Because MTV, that's youth, right? Or maybe that's not youth anymore. Maybe I'm aging myself. <laughs> maybe I'm aging myself that I think okay. MTV means the, youth. The bigger question is, can you remember when MTV was just music? Yeah, not just music. But it was a lot of music. I, I grew up on watching music videos during the summer. Okay, let me ask you this. Do you remember what the box is? No, is that a, is that a video? Is that a video, Jay? It, a this was back in the day. Yeah. It, it was its own channel, like uh-huh. uh, you know, you know. This is going back when I was like in middle school, and uh, so you might have been born yet at this point. But literally, you would call in to request songs, and it would play the music video. That's a it's a whole channel. Yeah. Wow, that's wild. That's pretty wild channel. You had to get uh, it off the bunny the, the bunny ears. You know, back in the day, we didn't have that. You know, we had to tune it. Yeah, that that I don't remember. That I never did. I always had cable. I always had cable. But damn, that's crazy. Man, speaking of MTV, we should do a rewatch of a bully beatdown. Oh God, man, I remember that one. And they, had, I mean, they had some notable MMA fighters on that show. Uh, yeah, and then they have guys who have become notable MMA fighters like, after. I, like, show. I feel like that's where uh, we need a thirty for thirty with how that show came together. Is and James how Miller, did they and how did they get these bullies to agree to fight a fighter? Is Jason Miller in jail right now? Uh, or no? I believe he might be. I don't know. He's been man. He jail. was a big. He was a big star uh, for the UFC and for Strike Force. I mean, remember when he coached on the Ultimate Fighter? Yeah, against Bisming. Yeah, season That's, fourteen. I want to say it was. Yeah. Well, did Bisping coach two times? Did he coach against Dan Henderson too, or did yeah. he just fight Dan Henderson again? Okay. Um, yeah. he, I know he coached at least once. Damn. Michelle Watterson was a, was a was on the show. Uh, so was Dan, Daniel Cormier was on Bully Beatdown. Michael Bisping coached season nine and season fourteen. Wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, that I remember that Mayhem season. But bro, Daniel Cormier was was on Bully Beatdown, which I did not remember. Darren Crookshank, Eddie Alvarez, Woodley, Bobby Green, Michelle Watterson, uh, Arlovsky. Which I remember, Jake Shields. Jake Shields on it three times. Damn. So yeah, those are the big names. You think about back in the day of the Alton Fighter, of how many names came out of that show. Like I'm just looking at season 14: Steven Siler, Diego Brandao, Brian Caraway, Dennis Bermudez, Jimmy Rivera. That's just the featherweights. Over on the yeah. bantamweight side. Uh, Johnny Bedford, John Dodson, TJ Dillashaw. Maybe, so like, maybe we should do a draft one day where we draft cast from the Ultimate Fighter and we just see who who has the best uh, picks because there's some sneaky good seasons in there. That you just, I mean, there's some of these women like the like the inaugural like women's strawweight the team is just like absurd. By the way, uh, going back to Bully Beatdown, 
This is amazing. If we're going to watch any episode, we need to watch this episode. So on the Wikipedia, it has one thing. It says money earned by bully and then money earned by victim. And by and large, the victim – and the most you can earn is $10,000, yeah. right? So by and large, the MMA fighters are you know earning the money. There was one episode, season one, episode six, where Thomas Denny is the fighter and the victim earned $0 and the bully earned $10,000. <laughs> Did Thomas Denny lose a fight on Bully Beatdown? There is no other episode. I need to know what happened here. I'm trying to I'm trying to remember the premise because wasn't it like they wasn't it like two rounds they did? Yeah. But I think like I, the, was there one like they they tried to make it as fair as they could. You know, I, for some reason, like did they maybe tie an arm behind the guy's back or something? I. I don't think they tied an arm behind their back, but I don't remember. He lost. Apparently, Thomas Denny just lost the fight. Uh, okay, I don't know. I don't know how Bully Beatdown works. I think you just have to finish him. I think you either have to submit him or or knock him out. I maybe, maybe one round was a submission and one was a knockout round, maybe? Yeah, something like that. Well, if there's ever another pandemic, we know what we're going to do. You're going to rewatch Bully Beatdown. So round one was a three-minute grappling-only round. Mm. The bully would begin the round with $5,000 and would lose $1,000 every time he was forced to tap out with the lost money going to the victims. Wow. Round two was a three-minute kickboxing round. The bully wins $5,000 if they can survive the entire three minutes but does not get any money if he quits or gets KO'd or the referee stops the fight. Damn. And Big John McCarthy was the referee. So Thomas Denny wasn't able to submit or knock out his bully. That That's bad. The question ultimately comes is, did any of the bullies ultimately end up becoming mixed martial artists? Oh, that's a good question. Well, we got to look at this guy, uh, Dennis on, on, on this episode. Dude, that's a good question. Daniel Cormier was on season three, episode 11. Yeah, that's what I was saying, bro. That's what I was, yeah, it was second less. We got to watch that episode too. I didn't see that one. Could you imagine you're the guy Daniel Cormier's seeing across the cage from you? No, I don't even. This is in 2012, though. I wonder what that was he in Strike Force already. Yeah, he must have been because I feel like he debuted in Strike Force, right? Yeah. Did he call me a debut in Strike Force? No, he didn't. Uh, he did. Strike Force Challengers. Damn. Yeah, so 2012, he had already won the Heavyweight Grand Prix. Yeah. It's that's crazy. Nice. It's just, crazy. I'm just looking at some of these names that are on there. Um, you mentioned about Michelle Watterson. Bobby Green was on there. Yeah. Tyron Woodley. There had to be a massive like NDA or, hey, you're not going to sue us if you get the hell beat out of you. I'm surprised no one died. It feels like an illegal show. It has to be fake. Like some accounts. Yeah, no, I I swear most of the TV. I feel like most of the TV shows I do watch is reality TV. So yeah, the only thing that's real is mixed martial arts, brother. Yeah, I mean, like outside of sports, I don't watch a ton of TV. Yeah, I, I every once bit. every once in a while, I watch uh, old episodes of the first forty eight on Hulu. I'm starting to watch the uh, the boys on Amazon. It's a pretty good show. I've heard that. Yeah, I have Amazon. Good. I have Amazon Prime, obviously, but like just like probably every other American. <laughs> but uh, 
I, I, I've really never watched Amazon Prime. Really, I guess I'm gonna yeah. have to figure out how to watch it with uh, one championship. You're gonna have to figure out how to watch it with one championship. Yeah, because that's also, uh, August 26. Is is uh, is this the NFL on Amazon this year? Uh, yeah, Thursday games are. Yeah, uh, people are gonna freak out, bro. People are gonna be like on Thursdays. They're gonna be like, "Where the hell is my football?" It's on the computer. I mean, because that's gonna be the only place it's gonna be broadcast if it's not local, right? I mean, that's yeah, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty. That's sure. a that's a dramatic change in the viewing habits of a lot of Americans. There's gonna be a lot of older Americans that are gonna have to make that leap, or they're gonna have to call their son or daughter to come by the house and get the get the computer on the TV. Yeah, I mean, I guess that'd be interesting. How many p? How what is percentage of Americans that don't have a smart TV? That's a great question. Or don't, don't have, uh, you know, uh, an Apple TV or uh, you know, Fire Stick or a Roku or you know, whatever. Um, according to a 2021 National Interest, 80 percent of households have at least one smart TV. Uh, I, I was thinking 10, 15 percent. But in a separate article, it says 56 percent of TV households own one. So I don't freaking know. I will tell you this, Jason. I never, I don't use apps on my smart TV. I watch everything by plugging an HDMI cord into my laptop. Really? Yes. I'm a freak. I'm oh, a freak of nature. Now, I, I, I've uh, got, uh, in the living room, I've got the Apple TV. So that, that's kind of what I use. And then here in the office, I've got a, a Fire Stick. Yeah, my girlfriend got me an Apple TV and I don't know how to set it up. So I've just not opened it. I tried, bro. It was confusing. How, how do you not know how to set it up, bro? I, <laughs> I tried doing it and it just wasn't. I couldn't Dude, you it operate out. a video camera. <laughs> You can operate a video camera, but you can't learn how to install an Apple TV. I know my. Some people, you know, some people can drive a NASCAR, and some people can drive a Formula One race car. You know, it's it's a different breed. You know, it's, it's more your speed. Wow. Yeah, I, I am Mr. Technology guy. You are. That is your jam. That is your jam, my man. You know, it's like anytime there's a technology issue at at the restaurant, Jason gets a call. Yeah, <laughs> or or in the family, or in the family too. Yeah, sure. yeah, that does happen a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's always weird. Like someone asked me to fix a Windows computer, and I really haven't used a Windows computer in fifteen years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I mean, where you, Google either. is your friend. Yep, you're learning on the job. I haven't also used a Windows computer. God knows how long. Oh my! My wife, she'll she'll start. She'll need to do something. She'll she'll do it on my my MacBook. She's lost. Oh, she's a Windows user. Yeah, she she gets she gets pissed off with the mouse on the trackpad. Wow, that's crazy, man. I mean, yeah, it's crazy how long I've been on Apple products. I could I couldn't imagine going away from a MacBook. I bet we will one day. I bet we will. They're you just know. so damn expensive. Yeah, I know, I know. But I, I I would not be shocked in our lifetimes if we transition to a different type of brand or something. But yeah. That's you know times do change. Yeah, I mean, hell, you, yeah, hey, I, I'm old enough to remember when we watched UFC prelims on Facebook. Yeah, uh, me too, my man. Me too. I remember or, that. Or when they didn't even str- didn't even show prelim fights. If you weren't in the building, you had no idea what the results yeah, were. Yeah, you had to buy the DVD. You had to buy the freaking DVD. Can you imagine how big of a sociopath you must have been to gamble on prelim fights that you can't see? 
<laughs> Dude, I uh, I saw a clip last night, Dan, talking about it, and he basically says, uh, hey, if you're a degenerate gambler, you should be watching Dan White's Contender Series. That's funny. He basically is like, he's like, if you're going to place a bet on NFL preseason game, why are you not betting on the fights? Yeah. It's much more fun to bet on a fight than a football game or a basketball game or a baseball game. It's literally two people punching each other in the face. Yeah. And I, 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 I can't. Dude, I, I've, I've watched a lot of preseason football over my years in NFL broadcasting. I don't know how anyone handicaps a preseason game. I really Dude, it's don't. so random. It's so random, bro. It's so random. It's yeah. You know, you know the only thing I'm not a big fan of in preseason games. What's that? Two minutes left in the game, and people are calling timeouts. That's pretty wild. That's pretty wild. Yeah, that's uh, I feel like yeah, I, that makes no sense whatsoever. But hey, man, I'm excited for football. I'm glad it's back. Uh, I don't think my Texans are going to do jack. This year, but I'm excited to see my cornerback, Derek uh, Stingley, play football. <laughs> and you have a Super Bowl chances, so good luck on that, despite, you know, losing your center. Yeah, that was tough, man. And, and yeah. uh, I saw a fan clip, and you could hear him scream. You're like, oh, man. Was he out for the year? They haven't said. They haven't said. Oh, they haven't said. Yeah, so who knows? Maybe he'll come back. Poor guy. Oh, he's really freaking good. But, you know, I'm rooting for y'all. I'm rooting for y'all, you know, different conference. I think I'm allowed to do that. I, I, like I, I feel I feel like, you know, the new Madden's about to come out. I feel like a lot of people are just going to take the bucks when they're playing people online. Did they, uh, did they, did they already do the cover of Madden? Uh, the, uh, it's, it's John Madden. Oh, duh. That makes a lot of sense. Duh. Damn. Like when I when I do play video games, it's it's either to me it's either Madden, NBA 2K, or MLB The Show. One, one you you don't get enough of real sports. You play video game sports too, Jason. You're insane. So, sometimes you just need a, a goddamn break for everything, bro. Yeah, I know, but I mean, you know, damn, this Madden 23 cover looks badass. Yeah, I think, I think the game comes out in a week or two. Yeah, oh, I guess I gotta get. Maybe I'll get Madden. I do enjoy playing it. I always just down, I download it off the Xbox Store. Oh, yeah, you see. But by the way, I have downloaded UFC 4. It's been sitting on my hard drive for probably six, seven months. Have not played it once. Dude, I haven't played a UFC game in the longest time. I think I I played UFC 3, but uh, I've not played the UFC 4. I wonder if there will be a UFC 5. I'm sure there will be. Uh, I remember playing UFC Sudden Impact. Did you ever play that one? I think so. Yeah, that was PS2 in 2004. I, I, the P, PS2, I don't think I ever had a PS3. I've been an Xbox guy for since the very first Xbox. Dude, I was, I was on Reddit the other day, and I saw the greatest picture ever. It was Tim Sylvia cornering, cornering somebody, and he had the UFC Heavyweight Championship wrapped around his waist like a professional wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and he was literally dressed in like street clothes, dude. Oh, I'm like, oh, that's perfect. Uh, but by the way, we'll end on this. Uh, what you know, you're, yeah. you're the fresh wrestling guy. Takes on SummerSlam. I didn't watch it. I haven't seen it. I wow. haven't seen it. You, I know you're, you're the the non wrestling guy. Watched it. I know. I know. I didn't see it. I'm sorry. I, okay, I'm I, I didn't see all. I didn't see all of it. I missed the Logan Paul biz matchup. Uh, we saw the Pat McAfee. There was a match before him. Um, obviously saw well, saw the main event. 
You saw, you, I saw, okay, so I saw the clip of Brock Lesnar picking up the wrestling ring and the, the forklift. Oh, dude, dude. So we're, we're sitting there at a bar watching him, and he starts to make his entrance, and he starts walking down. He walks back to his tractor. I looked at my buddy going, that's some playing some role in the match. <laughs> there yeah. is a, like, that's one of those things of like, who in creative goes, hey, man, hey, Brock, you know how to drive a tractor, right? Yeah. And I don't know if he does or doesn't. I'm guessing he does. I'm guessing yeah, he know. knew. I know. Yeah. Yeah. But he was, uh, that he was going back and forth a little bit, but dude, that was an iconic moment. And dude, the way Roman Reigns fell down was no. like a movie star. I, I don't know if you've seen that. Have you seen the clip when Brock's announcing his name? Yeah. And he throws a microphone to Roman. Roman catches it and then winks at him. Yeah, <laughs> that was awesome, bro. I'm like, hey, he caught nonchalantly winked at him. I'm like, oh, that is tremendous. Yeah, bro. Yeah, well, I'm glad you watched SummerSlam. I mean, I it was just a tough week. There's a there's a really big Japanese wrestling tournament that's going on. They have like a lot of shows, so I've been watching that. That's what I've been watching. Plus the UFC and all that stuff. Plus hanging out with my girlfriend. Just didn't have enough time for SummerSlam, but. uh you know, I'll be. Uh, I'm very interested to see what WWE does under Triple H and Stephanie McMahon. So I will be keeping my eyes peeled. I read the results and uh, I stay informed. But yeah, apparently Logan Paul's doing a good job. You know, I I actually listened to him interview uh, Triple H today on his podcast. That was pretty interesting. Yeah, I saw I saw some clips on uh, TikTok and Triple H basically saying before Logan Paul came to WWE, he's like, "Who the hell's this guy?" Yeah, yeah, it's just you know. That's funny, but hey, he uh, he learned he can make some money with them, so they're going after it. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. It's uh, like it's also one of those things of like, do you think we ever get to a point where like Conor McGregor grabs the microphone from Bruce Buffer and announces his own name? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. That'd be wild. Can you can you imagine that? I mean, maybe one day we'll see someone do that, but that would be uh, that'd be wild. Sean O'Malley. Yeah. Patty Pimblet. I like. Uh, I, I will say this. I liked what Sean O'Malley said the other week, where he talked about you you looking at the UFC as a way to build his own brand. I thought that you know I mean look, fighter pay is what fighter pay is, but I think Sean O'Malley is looking at it in, in in a great way of saying how can I use a UFC to increase my own brand. Yep. It's very important. They give you a spotlight. You're only going to be fighting for so long, and you can do so many things afterwards. And Sean can make a lot of money podcasting, being in TV shows, being an influencer, opening a gym, whatever. He's totally right. Fighters should have that mindset. Fighters should have the mindset of James Krause. James Krause invested his money really wisely in real estate, stuff like that. Fighters got to take care of themselves, and that's one of the ways of doing it. Yeah, yeah, he's. Uh, I remember um, last time I talked to Kraus, he was really investing uh, big in, into apartment complexes. Which, goddamn, if I had that kind of money, phew, probably the way to go. I, I mean, I own a home, but I see what apartments are going through here in Tampa Bay. Holy crap! Yeah, it ain't yeah. cheap, bro. <laughs> it ain't cheap, man. It ain't cheap to live in America. No, it's not. But that is going to do it for this edition of the Ameriport Podcast. Appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to the podcast. Of course, new episodes come out every Sunday and Wednesday on your favorite podcasting platform and RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>